Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Frank Patilano. Thanks for being on the show, Frank. Thank you for having me, sir. Yeah, Frank, originally a full-time teacher with a part-time job working seven days a week, gradually invested more and more into real estate. He continually growing, taking risks. He eventually left his job to manage his portfolio full-time. Frank, I know you and I have known each other for maybe a year and a half, two years now. I know we talked a long time ago, and and it's just great to see your success and what you've accomplished. I look forward to hearing just your story of getting to that point where you can leave that full-time job that's most of the listeners' probably goal or uh, ones that have already done it remember you know, the difficulty getting to that point and taking that leap. But welcome to the show. Give us a little more about who Frank is, and let's dive into your syndication journey. Thank you, sir. Yeah, it was awesome. It can be done. It does take hard work and there are quicker ways to do it than what I did. But basically, uh, I remember talking to you just about uh, two years ago and then uh, in about seven or eight months ago, we met at Best Ever in Colorado for the first time, which was really awesome, right before the big pandemic hit. And now I don't travel as much, but I will be and we're still investing in deals. But let's see, how did I get started? Like I said, I was a workaholic. I figured that the way to make money was just to keep working. But the problem was that I was working for a lot of other people and I wasn't really working for myself in any way. So as you know, when you're working, your boss is never going to pay you more than what you're worth. So you know that. We all know that. I mean, they'd be losing money if they had to pay everybody more than what they were worth. So uh, what I had to do is uh, I had to figure out ways to make money passively or actively, but in different industries, if you know what I mean. For sure. Wow. Well, you know, Frank, many of us have to start by if you want to get in real estate, your goal is to do it full time, but many of us have to do it while working as well. Tell us a little bit about that transition and how you managed to make it happen. I mean, to the point where you were ready to say, okay, I'm leaving this job and I know this is the right way to go. There you go. So obviously for everybody, there is a fear factor. There is a risk to it. I mean, actually on my first deal, I actually lost money. I invested in some land. For some reason, I thought I knew enough about building, even though I had no experience in building. So I bought some land at a big auction down in New York City a few years ago. Actually, wow, it's about 13 years ago now. <laughs> and that was my one of my first uh, investments into real estate. We also bought uh, our own personal house at the top of the last cycle. So that was uh, probably not the best idea either. At the same point, my wife and I were not big spenders, so we kept generating enough savings that eventually, as you know, the banks are not paying that well, just putting it in a regular bank account. So I remember back in about 2005, we had bank accounts paying about 6%. Now, if you have a 6% interest rate, then obviously some of the syndications would be around the same right now. But right now, as you know, interest rates are just about one half of 1%, if not less. So uh, basically, we had to start putting our money to work. And I tried some stocks, but I lost money on a few deals. And as you know, you really can't influence stock prices as much as you can influence real estate. No matter how many Apple phones you buy. Yeah, there you go. No matter how much shopping you do at Walmart, even if you spend twice as much as you made last year, you cannot really influence the stock price per se. But as you know, with real estate, if you can get a decent deal and do the right rehab or value add, you can easily make more and more money. So what I did is uh, I 
bought my first smaller multifamily. It was just a triplex. I did it on my own. And when I say on my own, I mean my wife and I did it together. We bought it the traditional mortgage, 30-year mortgage, not owner-occupied, 25% down. And obviously, that's awesome, but you really can't do too many of those if you're just doing it small, long-term, buy-and-hold investing. So uh, over time, what we had to do is we started to buy a few other styles. We started to do partnerships. We started to do a little bit of fix and flips. We invest in other people's deals and through syndication as well. In the past two years, we've uh, been able to grow a lot faster. So why syndication? Now, I know you've done some different things in real estate, but why syndication as opposed to sticking to flipping or single family or something else? Well, we're definitely still doing, especially flipping. I mean, this year, 2020 has been like the year of the flip for me. We have three active projects going on right now, and we have uh, three more coming on in the next two months. But I still love the concept of syndications because of that symbiotic relationship between actor investors and passive investors, and also just being able to be outside of my market. So like I live in Rhode Island, and Rhode Island is considered tax hell. And CNBC, I think, called it the worst place to start a business. And wow. I, I love Rhode Island, but for growth, it's kind of hard, especially in real estate. I mean, we're just over an hour out of Boston. Most of the growth that we've had is because Boston keeps coming closer and closer to us. Besides that, I mean, the overall government is rather anti-business, anti-development. So uh, we don't have any population growth. And while we have had rent growth, like I said, it's because of us being so close to Boston. And eventually that might change, but uh, I had to put my money into other areas of the country. I So I started out doing some investing in Texas, Kansas City, Missouri. My first big project that I invested a lot of money in was in Idaho, stuff like that. So I really had to diversify out there. My philosophy right now is uh, I think I'm in about eight or nine markets. And some of those are small money, but just the fact that if one market doesn't do that well, the other markets will help. Nice. No, that's a great thought. Just the way you diversified. And I, I want to back up a little bit, though, just like getting into the real estate business. And, you know, you commented in your bio, you mentioned like honest networking. What does that mean to you? And how does that help the listener to if they understand what that means and in, in moving their business forward? Yeah, so I'm a big fan of networking, but I'm not necessarily a big fan of just networking just to get deals off of someone or just say hello and that's it and, and build a business through them. I just honestly like chatting with people and I have, you know, a love of real estate. So I talk to people each and every day and there are people that I've known for 10 years that I've never done a deal with. And that's not because I don't want to. It's because I'm not going to push that when the time is right, the time is right. If I have an opportunity that I think could work for them, I might give them a call once in a while. But there's no like real push that, oh my God, you have to invest in me and I'm never talking to you again. I think you understand that a lot as well, Whitney. For sure. But for example, we have an eight unit commercial building that we own down about 45 minutes from my house. And it was about 11 years old when I bought it. It was a great property overall, but there was always those little things about it that need a little bit of extra. And especially when I bought it, I was still teaching. So could I have bought it by myself? Absolutely. But what I did is I found two partners that I know in the area, and one's a full-time property manager, and the other one's a close friend that I own a few of the properties with. And we bought as a three-way split. And the reason why is because there was benefits to everybody. And I, I think that's the examples of honest networking. I mean, I go through, I belong to a lot of different real estate groups, and, and I'm always meeting people, talking to people. But 
it's for a, a good relationship. Like I said, even if I never do a deal with that person. No doubt about it. I just thought it was interesting, like calling it honest networking. No doubt about it. It's more than just a hello, how you doing? See you later. Or, you know, don't care about you if you don't invest with us, right? It's all about helping one another and, and moving forward. Rising tide raises all ships, right? Yeah. Well, you and I both can agree that investing is a team sport, but not everybody feels that way. So there are people right. that I know that are very dog eat dog. And yeah, it doesn't work out for me. <laughs> No doubt about it. Tell me, Frank, a little more about what's been the hardest part for you in just this syndication journey. So with syndications, the hardest part to start out was deciding which markets and then learning so much about so many different markets. I got to be honest with you, I'm more location agnostic in the fact that I like markets that are a little on the quieter side, but are growing. I have not invested in any deals in like Dallas or Houston or Atlanta yet. But I like the ones that are like the Kansas cities or, or stuff like that, that are, that are growing, but not everybody's there. <laughs> you know, so then besides that, you got to work on building a network, building a team, building brokers, everything else. And it's kind of hard to do that if you're trying to be in five or six different markets at once, as you know. So uh, what I've had to do is I've had to rely on some of my partnerships. So uh, like the Idaho deal, I have two good friends out of the Utah market. And obviously, they weren't good friends originally. I had never met them before, but they contacted me. And the first thing I was worried, I'm like, is this a scam or something? You know, people just like looking for money, this and that. But because we have such uh, strong connections in real estate, I was able to find a friend who you know, but I won't mention on on the phone here. And basically, I called him up and I said, what do you think of these people? And he said, well, they're part of my mastermind group. And I said, what's one word that you would use to say what they're about? And he said, integrity. And that really meant a lot to me. Uh, As you and I both know, you can lose money in real estate, but you can lose money in real estate by partners stealing from you, or you can lose money in real estate just because you've taken a little too much risk. And I'd rather have it from taking the risk than from not being able to trust my own partners. So uh, I did invest in that deal. I've put few hundred thousand dollars into that deal, even even though it was a struggle to raise. There's plenty of struggles in syndication. Another struggle we had, we were all on the first deal, we are all first-time syndicators. So we didn't really have anybody that had a big network. And my network was actually built of local people who were not accredited, but we did it as a 506C. So it was a lot tougher to find people. But uh, we made it happen. No matter what, we fully raised and we're at 90% occupancy right now. So no complaints. Nice. What were a couple or maybe even just one thing you took away from that raise that you'll either do different or that you learned from that to do moving forward? No matter how much you think you can raise, it's going to be 10 times harder (laughs) to to do it. You know, I'm sure you know, especially with this concept of soft commitments, soft commitments are nice, but when only about 10% of the soft commitments come through, it's like, whoa, some people want to invest in, it's not just the people themselves. Sometimes it's timing issues. Like you and I just had a discussion about an upcoming deal you have going on. For me, I'm not saying I'm investing or not in it, but it's just the, the concept of I just put $100,000 into one deal. So I'm a little tight this month and we'll see if, if, that, if I have a closing coming up in a couple of weeks like I'm supposed to, I might have money available for it. So I treat everybody with respect on it. They're not being mean, just... It's just where they are in the cycle. You know, investors, they have good months and bad months. They have a lot of money in the bank account sitting around one month and then the next month they're out. So, you know, it's just like renting, even with like renting apartments, like people always are looking for apartments and it's like, guys, if I need to rent it, I need to rent it like now. I can't wait two months for the perfect situation for you. 
Right. Yeah. Situations change for every investor, right? I mean, life happens and we definitely understand that. You know, people sign up, there'll be a few investors every raise that by the time they're supposed to send money, I mean, things happen, right? They're, they have to buy a new car or their the bill for co- their child's college is bigger than they expected or whatever it may be. Things happen and no doubt about it. And you better plan for it when you're doing that raise. Yeah. The um, raise is the, the raise is the hardest part for us. I mean, the property was a little worse shape than we thought, so we have more plumbing issues than we expected, stuff like that. But we'll, we'll get over all those humps because we're already ahead of pro forma on the rents. It was just the, the raise was the hardest part in my nice. eyes. Okay. Well, yeah, and definitely expect that. So is there something that you'll do different next time just to help with that issue? So one of the biggest things that we'll have to do is uh, just just have to build out the network quicker and just go from there. So the good news is that we're performing well on on this one. So I think it'll be slightly easier on the next one, as you know, because people already see, especially if you, we plan on paying out distributions by the end of the year, which is pretty awesome. And especially as people see you doing that kind of stuff, it's really good and it makes it easier for people to understand you and trust you. As you know, it's all about trust. We've done 506Cs. So I could try a B, but it's going to be a little tougher. I have a few people in my network that would have invested, but they were not accredited. So if we try one of those Bs once in a while, obviously you can't advertise it. But if I call my network around, I think we'd be able to fill that one a little easier. (laughs) Wow. Well... Yeah. Yeah. You know, we learned so much going through, I mean, like every raise that we've done, I mean, we learned so much and, and I would just encourage the listener to like track all those things, right? I know that there's going to be problems. You know, we track everything. And so that way, every raise, we learn something, there's different issues, whatever happens, but we want to minimize those as much as possible. Right. And we, we do, we go to great lengths, just planning that entire process. And so, I mean, like I have somebody on the team that's like just committed to that and helping investors through that process. but. By documenting it, we know through the process, we write things down. Okay, next time we need to do it this way or we change, you know, so that way it just continues to get better. Frank, you know, how do you prepare for a potential downturn? So one of the things that we've done is we are not overly leveraged right now. Out of my entire portfolio, I would say I'm about 50% leveraged. We've been selling. So the market runs in cycles and every market's a little different. But for us, I'm in Rhode Island. We have about... We have just over 50 units right now, but in the last two years, we've been gradually selling off most of our single family portfolio. You know, this is stuff, and every market's different. This is stuff that I bought between 90 and 150,000 that we've been selling off between 250 and 300,000 or so. And I mean, some of that stuff needed work, but we've been renting them for, you know, seven or eight years. And just some of that's to have a cash position, and some of it's just being diversifying by being in different markets. Yeah. What about, I know I get this question often, and I'd love to have your opinion. I mean, you're in so many different markets too. And I think being diversified that way, like you've mentioned a couple of times, is a great idea and something to keep in mind. What do you expect to happen here over the next six to 12 months in the real estate market? Oof. Who knows, right? But overall, do I expect a slowdown? Yes. Do I expect a crash? No. It'd be nice if we could just not be as frothy as we have been, where we have like a little bit of a slower pace. We'll see, though, because there are a lot of people hungry. So in my market, I would say it's different than the average syndication market. In my market, we just have a massive supply issue. So we don't see prices dropping that much unless interest rates change. So, for example, Boston's an hour, just over an hour away. They need 200,000 new housing units in the next 10 years. Okay. 
So that market is going to slow down, but it's not going to crash in my eyes. We're nearby. We probably need a solid 70 or 80,000, but we're not building anywhere near that. I mean, the number of housing starts in our area is minimum. (laughs) It's a combination of just the tight zoning regulations and that we're already rather developed over here. So in my local market, I see I see a slowdown. I definitely do not see a crash. I worry more about, especially if interest rates move, I worry more about the Dallas and the, and the Houston's. I know there's a lot of movement to people moving there, especially from like California, but I just worry that the prices have been so crazy lately. Yeah. What about, Frank, I, I find that people that are successful in business and especially in real estate have a high level of self-discipline. How did you gain such a high level of self-discipline? Oh, I don't know if I have a high level of self-discipline. I'm definitely willing to take some risks here or there. Yeah, but you just have to work hard every day. There are people that have a lot of excuses, okay? There are people that just expect either the government or their family or their job, their boss or somebody to take care of them. And as you know, and as I know, you got to set out to uh, go out there and and kill things and bring them home once in a while. I mean, you got you got to be out there in order to make money. Last year, I probably did one flip, maybe two, and I was worried about the market. This year, we've transitioned a little bit, and I basically have new people on the team that are out there hustling and building connections every day. And they're like, hey, you want to do this deal? This is how much it costs. This is how much work it needs. This is what we can sell it for in six months or less. And it's like, yeah, I want to make a few bucks that way. I got to do something. So let's do it. Nice. Well, you have to be willing to take some risks to make anything happen, right? Or to to make big steps forward. What about some daily habits that you are just very disciplined about to achieve that's helped you achieve success? So I was huge on habits last year. I had a whole list. I want to say I've fallen back, but I still have habits. I try to eat at least two healthy meals a day. I try to exercise every day. Obviously, open up your email, make a few phone calls each and every day, always checking on some of our employees or some of our some of our deals. I actually made a new spreadsheet recently. We have so many different deals going on right now that I had to make a spreadsheet of where they are, where they came from, the lead, how much money we're putting into them, stuff like that. Because it's like, what do you mean you have four more possible deals coming up? And we'll probably end up getting one of those. But Especially if you're trying to do it mostly by yourself, you start to get a little forgetful on where things things are coming from, et cetera. Yeah, it's taking that daily action, though, like you talked about, right? Whether it's just like committing to making phone calls every day, whatever it may be. What about a way, Frank, that you have recently improved your business that we could also apply to ours? Oof. Uh, let's see. Improve the business. Like I said, one of the things is just, it's probably something you're already doing, but the way I've just recently improved my business, like I said, is to take the spreadsheets and start seeing what deals we actually have going on. When you when you got things all over the place going on, it's like sometimes you're just like pushing through, but we just, we've recently gotten organized is what I'm saying. <laughs> and you've sure. probably already been there, but I get to work on organization more. I've been adding more things to the calendar, especially it's kind of weird right now, especially with the Corona going on. I pick up my kids. I have the luxury of walking my twins to school every morning. So uh, I can't complain about that. It's about 12 houses away, well, down about four streets. But it's just a weird and been able to spend that every single morning. Well, what happened this year was that it got bumped up. So now it's later. I don't drop them off till 9.15. It's like, guys, you guys are killing my day a little bit. Obviously, it's worth it. And then I've been picking them up twice a week. So uh, sometimes go look at a house, run around, meet somebody for lunch. It's an organizational nightmare, as you know. So yeah. that's what I've been working on improving as of late. 
Yeah. I mean, we can never stop working on organizing, I think. But what a valuable time, though. I mean, how, that's priceless that you get that time in the morning. So that's just, that's you know, you wouldn't have that if you were still teaching, right? Right. No, definitely not. So I, I actually take a picture with them every single morning walking to school, which is really awesome. I have boy-girl twins. And my oldest, is she's in uh, eighth grade, and I pick her up twice a week. And sometimes... She's also at home distance learning. So once in a while, I'll surprise her. Her and I will go out to lunch on a Wednesday, stuff like that, which is really cool. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't be able to do that if I was still teaching. What's your best source right now for meeting new investors? So um, right now, it's mostly Facebook and Instagram. We're pretty big on the social media side, especially with everything going on. It's kind of hard to meet a lot of in-person. Last year, or actually two years ago, was definitely in-person meetups. Last year was a combination of all the different big events, like the one I met you in February, stuff like that. And then this year, it's it's mostly probably Instagram because we post uh, every single day content. And we've actually been getting a lot of even local wholesalers connecting with us through that, which is pretty amazing. That is. I don't, I don't want to give away too much Instagram, but let's just say that three of my accredited investors on my deal came through Instagram. Okay. No, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, different platforms. I don't know. It seems like a big learning curve for me personally for you know every new platform. But tell me the number one thing that's contributed to your success, Frank. It's all about networking and partnerships for me. Especially when I was teaching full-time, every single deal that I did, or almost every deal I did, I did as a partnership, even if it was just with my wife. I have a solid four partners in our local market. And when I say that, I mean, I have like most deals that I do, I have one partner that I'm a 50% owner. 50-50. I actually have one buddy. He will not do any deals without finding a partner. He almost feels like he, even though he's wicked smart with real estate, he just feels that he needs someone else to throw ideas off of. He needs someone else to make sure, keep his emotions in check. And I do too. So uh, I don't do a lot of things on my own. Investing in team sport, I'm a firm believer in that. No doubt about it. Is there a way that, that you could just quickly speak to, though, on that? Because you mentioned it earlier as well, like being a team sport, partners, all those things. Like in the syndication business, it's a must, or I believe anyway. What's a way that you're able to vet that person or that potential team member or partner? Yeah, vetting's tough. I'll give examples on the local side. So on the local side, we have one solid local real estate investors group. Uh, it's called the Rhode Island Real Estate Investors Group, and I've been a member for over 15 years. And I try not to partner with someone unless I've known them through the group for at least a year. It's a little tough right now, but it's about meeting them. You don't always bring up partnerships. Obviously, you never bring up partnerships to begin with, but just meeting them as a person, learning what they're doing, and over time, going out to lunches. And I'm not saying you try to break them down, but you want honesty. And and you don't want to hear stories about, oh my God, that guy screwed me, this and that, you know, or hey, listen to hear how I got this great steal. So, It's definitely a learning curve and it takes time because, like you said, you're putting a big investment into them. You're investing not only sometimes six figures or more, you're investing a lot of time and you're risking your name, your brand as whenever you do a partnership. No doubt about it. All the hard work you've already put in, you're putting on the line. Yeah. Uh, What does Warren Buffett say? Something about takes, uh, what, 15 years or 50 years to build a name and 15 minutes to ruin it? Yeah. Something like that. It's pretty accurate either way. Frank, how do you like to give back? Oh, I give back all the time, especially because my teaching background, we're always giving away way too much free advice and mentoring. (laughs) 
I love helping others. And at the same point, you hope the universe brings it back to you at some point. And in many ways, it has. So for example, yesterday, I had a nice Gen Z investor. His name is Jack, and he's in our local market. He mostly does stocks, but he wants to learn about real estate. So I took him out to lunch yesterday, and then uh, we were just having me drive, and I showed him a few properties that we own, and then we, we surprised visited two projects that we have rehabbing right now. And he got to learn so much. We did an Instagram live on it and everything else, and it was just a lot of fun. And over time, you hope that you build relationships like that, and they keep learning. And even if you don't build a relationship, you know you've given back. Right. No doubt about it. Who knows who he'll tell about Frank and how Frank helped him and make those connections. I've seen that happen personally so many times. So appreciate you giving back in that way and just being willing to. First off, Frank, and great to get to know you a little better and just hear your more about your story from teacher to real estate professional. And it's a path I think many people want think they want to take anyway. But, you know, are they doing those daily things like you're talking about and working hard enough and, and just being consistent? And But thank you for just going into your difficulties in the first raise, not the importance of not being over leveraged, your market predictions, and even just the value of the time with your kids. I think that's such a good motivator for all of us that are it just are we getting that time? And if you're wanting to do the real estate business, that should just push you that much harder to go out there and make it happen. Thank you again for your time, Frank. Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Thank you, sir. So the, so the easiest way is we have our own podcast. We have an Instagram called The Cashflow Kings. We're all over social media. My name is Frank Padalano. You're welcome to send me an email at any time. My main email address is frank at ribuy.com because we buy in Rhode Island. So uh, frank at ribuy.com. Thank you, sir. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.